Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you as Ariel Epstein does great work with Sports Grid along with FanDuel. She's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be looking at some of the matchups for Tuesday, some of the trends that she's been finding, and she's also big into strikeout props. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that in the final segment. Going to give you guys a sign total on every game on Tuesday's MLB betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there is something that you like to answer, fire it into my timeline at GRS41. If you send these via direct message, aka DM, well, letters DM to me, me does not matter did get into today, so let's dive into it. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Get this one in from Terry, and you can follow him on Twitter. At Handicapper Terry, he asks that he is a fan of SQDL, and he was wondering why there aren't as many people on the same train as him. And what this essentially is, is a database in which you're able to take a look at past matchups. When it comes to sports, it can be MLB, college basketball, what have you. You wind up setting filters like, how does the under do when Eddie Rosario hits a home run the day before? How do favorites of minus 150 or greater do in the month of August? What have you. You're able to go through all that. And for me, with this process, I think that the big thing is 
finding things that are a little bit more broad because if you're able to get a trend like the Milwaukee Brewers have played 65% of their totals to the under when the total is more than 10 over the last two years. That's something that you can use. That's good information. When you get really specific, like the over is 5-3 and three in Mike Clevenger's last eight matchups in which the temperature outside is 73 degrees, the wind is blowing out 12 miles an hour, and it's a Tuesday night. That's when it's like, okay, you've got to be kidding me. I just feel like sometimes with SQDL, it just gets a little bit too specific. And it's like, how in the world does this relate to a betting trend? That is really the big thing with me. If you're able to find a little bit more brevity, if you're able to find something that is pretty repeatable, those are the trends that you look at. Like, for example, the Seattle Mariners on the road so far this year are playing over 60% of their games in the over. That's something nice, basic. You're able to translate it to a lot of different situations. If you wind up going with, oh, the Seattle Mariners are 4-1 in road games that are on Tuesdays, played during the nighttime, and you wind up having Kyle Seeger hitting third, and he has eaten his favorite bubble gum the game before. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, how are we finding a trend here? So, I mean, the big thing with me is some of these trends are very good and some of these trends are very usable. Sometimes they just get a little bit too specific and it's like, what in the world is this? I just don't see how it's very viable. And then we get this one in from Billy Charlie Boyas. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. He's on Twitter at Peck, which is spelled P-A-K-M-A-N-888. He has at GRS41. Are there factors I use for my handicapping, such as rest or other intangibles outside of this year, I guess, because things are different. He was asking me if I use a model for MLB handicapping and there is absolutely no model whatsoever. If you'd heck into my computer right now and you try to find like, oh, what's Greg Peterson's secret sauce to betting baseball? Does he have like a big giant spreadsheet of numbers? Well, you'd find absolutely diddly squat. I take every game as its own living, breathing entity. It is one of these things in which I do feel like it has to go matchup by matchup. And what I really look at when it comes to MLB betting is when it comes to rest, there is something that I've been talking about a lot on this podcast, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. And they're just ridiculous run. When you wind up getting these teams that go on these just long runs where they don't have a day off. We saw it with the Chicago Cubs in 2018. They had to play like something like 20 straight games towards the end of the year. As a result, they were unable to close out the NL Central. They went to a game 163 with the Milwaukee Brewers. That is something that I certainly take a look at. When it comes to individual players, I don't think too many of these guys are going to wind up dying out unless if you have a St. Louis Cardinals situation, which I'm going to continue to talk about on this podcast because I really think that that team is going to be running out of gas within the next couple weeks. I think we may have seen that towards the tip of the iceberg on Monday, but we're going to be getting into that in a minute. But when you take a look at rest for these individual guys, I just don't think in a 60-game season it's really going to mean as much, especially if you're getting a normal off day like once a week, things like this to be able to have some travel. And the travel is actually much less this year as well. Now, something that I do look at is teams that have to wind up traveling after playing on Sunday Night Baseball. We saw it with the Colorado Rockies. They just weren't able to get any offense generated on Monday. That is certainly something. And then going from to and from Coors Field. We've notice a big trend that teams that travel away from Coors Field, well, they've scuffled in the last couple years. So those are the sorts of the things I do take a look at when it comes to the intangibles that you're referencing, but when it comes to a guy needing an off day or something like that in a 60-game season, I just don't look at it as much as I would in, say, 162-game season, but I certainly do look at bullpen availability as well because you've got some bullpens like the Cleveland Indians, whether or not Brad Hand is going to be able to go on Tuesday, that's not really going to affect the way that I look at the Cleveland Indians. 
Canadiens bullpen because you're able to bring out their Oliver Perez, James Karinchek, Nick Whitgren, list goes on and on of guys that are very trustworthy. Meanwhile, if you'd be taking a look at the Milwaukee Brewers and say you wouldn't have Josh Hader available for Tuesday, then you downgrade them. So hopefully that answers your questions when it comes to the logistics of rest and what have you. And I always appreciate those questions. So thank you very much for finding them in. Now let's take a look back at the results that we saw on Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. Ever since Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a grand slam against the Texas Rangers, it has not been going well for them, but it has been going well for the Seattle Mariners. As the Mariners get their sixth straight win, the Texas Rangers lose their 17th in their last 20, 8-4 the final in this one. For the Texas Rangers, they have been getting a little bit more offense generated, but Kobe Allard, not a good start in this one. Eight runs given up over the course of three and two-thirds innings, including two home runs surrendered. I will say the bullpen from there, you actually had some guys that came through. Jesse Chavez, Wes Benjamin, along with Taylor Hearn. They were able to provide a grand total of four and a third innings of scoreless baseball, but damage had already been done for the Texas Rangers. They wind up going two of six with men in scoring position. They were able to get to Marco Gonzalez a little bit, who had a very good start. He gives up two runs over the course of seven innings, and then from there, you have two runs given up out of the bullpen from Aaron Fletcher while you recorded one out, but for the Seattle Mariners, pair of home runs in this one. Dill Moore is sixth of the campaign. Kyle Seager is seventh. This is a team that's rolling right now for the Texas Rangers. This has become an automatic fade. What is not a fade, that'd be the professor at home. Kyle Hendricks continues to be lights out at Wrigley Field. 5-1 to one to final in this one. For Kyle Hendricks, he winds up going 8 innings, giving up 1 run in the process. If you're wanting to know about his splits right now and why I've been backing him so much at home, home ERA going into Monday for Kyle Hendricks, a 260, and it lowered with this start. On the road, 524. He's just vastly different home to road. And then from there, Rowan Wick was able to close out the game for the Chicago Cubs. They wind up going 3 of 12 men in scoring position, so it could have actually been much worse for you don't mess with the Johan Oviedo. He winds up going 4 and 2 thirds innings, giving up 5 runs, but only 3 of which were earned in the process. I will say from there, the St. Louis Cardinals, a team that has a top 10 bullpen with regards to ERA over the last two years, they were able to get the job done. You wind up having a few guys, including Seth Elger, Rob Kaminsky, and Tyler Webb come into this game. 3 and a third innings of scoreless baseball from them, but they just weren't able to get to Mr. Kyle Hendricks on this day. Mad Max Scherzer looked like his old self. He winds up being able to lead the Washington Nationals to a 6-1 victory over the Tampa Bay Rays. For the Rays, they really had only one form of life in this game, and that'd be the fact that Randy Arozarena winds up going deep once again for this team. His fourth of the campaign. He's sitting well above a 450 on base percentage worth of a 500, but for Charlie Morton, he has not looked like himself so far this year. Gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Trevor Richards, he has to close out the final three innings, giving up three runs in the process from there. And for Max Scherzer, seven innings pitch. He does give up six hits, but he punches out eight, does not give up a single run. Tanya Rainey came out of the bullpen. He gave up a run and then Will Harris and Danny Hudson wind up closing things out in the ninth inning as the Tampa Bay Rays left the bases loaded. They left a grand total of 10 men on base. 0 of 8 with runners in scoring position. Certainly not going to get the job done for what is currently the AL's best team when it comes to record. The New York Yankees, you'd think might be the best team when it comes to AL record, but they're now 21-20 and 20 and they gave up 10 runs in the 6th inning to the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays as the Blue Jays wind up getting a 12-10 win for the New York Yankees. Jordan Montgomery did not give the length that this team had desired, but he wasn't terrible. He gave up two runs over the course of three and a third innings. So he did give up six hits and two walks in the process, and Jonathan Holder was able to hold down the fort with five outs, not giving up a single run, but then Chad Green and Adam Adovino came in in that sixth inning. They gave up a combined ten runs for Adovino. 
He gives up six runs without recording a single out for Mr. Green. He gives up four runs, three of which were earned, and he recorded one out. So it was not terrific. I will say for the New York Yankees, they were able to get a pair of home runs off of Mr. Hunjin Ru. They were able to get Luke Voigt, his 14th home run season, Aaron Nix, his fourth, and then Miguel Andohar also went deep off of Mr. Ru, his first of the campaign for Hunjin Ru. He winds up giving up five runs, those three home runs over the course of five innings. From there, bullpen for the Toronto Blue Jays, which by and large has been very good so far this year, was solid. Julian Merriweather goes through scoreless innings. Anthony Bass takes his ninth inning, hook, line, and sinker, giving up one run in the process, and then Sean Reed fully gives up a run, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, 7 of 21 with men in scoring position. They had just one home run in this one, and that was Danny Jansen, a grand slam, his fourth of the campaign, and this is a team that they were doing all this without Teoscar Hernandez, who has north of 10 home runs so far this year, so needless to say, a good display of power there. Cleveland Indians continue to be an absolutely tremendous under team, along with the Minnesota Twins. They both played unders on Monday. For the Indians, they take down the Kansas City Royals by a count of 5-2. Really the lone bright spot for the Royals. Adelberto Mondesi gets his first home run of the campaign that came off of Zach Fleasack for Brad Keller. This is someone that has some pretty interesting home and road splits. He's typically been relatively even there, but I'm noticing that he's becoming a little bit more of a home ballpark pitcher. In this one, he gives up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of six and two-thirds innings, and then the bullpen from there, they wind up being able to close out the final four outs with Tyler Zuber doing most of those. But for the Cleveland Indians, Zach Plesak has came back from little bit of a tumultuous situation and looked very good. He gives up that home run to Mondesi and that was it. Seven innings pitch. He does give up seven hits but just that one run. From there Adam Simber winds up giving up around the bullpen but Phil Maton and Brad Hand were able to close out the game for the Cleveland Indians. Just one of seven with men in scoring position for them but they were able to feast on a pair of errors by the Kansas City Royals as well. And then for the Minnesota Twins they wind up closing out their series against the Detroit Tigers with a 6-2 win for the Tigres. They weren't able to get a whole lot of power in this one. One of five with men in scoring position and Michael Fulmer who's being used pretty much much as a pseudo-opener so far this year. Well, he was terrible. He gives up four runs over the course of two and a third innings. Daniel Norris came in, and he actually held down the fort. Gives up one run in three and two-thirds innings. Joe Jimenez, along with Ronnie Garcia, give up a combined run in two innings as well. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that got a pair of home runs. They were able to get one off the bat of Byron Buxton, his sixth home run campaign, and young catcher Ryan Jeffries gets his first home run of the season, I believe the first of his career, as Michael Pineda has come off the injured list, and he's looked very good for the Minnesota Twins, giving up two runs over the course of seven innings. And then from there, you have Taylor Rogers and Cody Sashek being able to close out the game. So yet another under for the Minnesota Twins. You wind up having a push on the total between the Marlins and the Braves, but the fish continue to make you money as an underdog. Five to four, they were able to get the win in this one. You figured a little bit of regression was going to be coming for Ian Anderson. He does wind up only giving up two runs, one of which was earned, but he only went three innings in this one. He really jacked up his fish count with four walks. And then from there, Robbie Erland has to come in in the long relief. He gives up two runs over the course of three innings. Will Smith, Shane Green, Mark Melanson, A.J. Minter all come into the game. The only run given up was by A.J. Minter in the 10th with the runner that started on second base at one was really bad for the Atlanta Braves. 11 men left on base, 2 of 14 with runners in scoring position, but they were able to get a clutch home run from Adam Duvall, the 10th of the campaign in the ninth inning to extend this game to extras. That was off of Brandon Kitzler for the Miami Marlins. They wind up getting a solid start from Jose Yoreña. His first start of the campaign, he gives up 3 runs over the course of 5 innings. From there, Josh Smith, James Hoyt, Brad Boxberger, Brandon Kitzler, and Nick Vinson 
all go a combined five innings. The only run given up was that Kitzler solo home run. And for the Miami Marlins, they are very glad that Miguel Rojas is back in the fold as he wound up having a pair of doubles to RBI in this one. And for the Marlins, they're currently 500 despite all that has rolled around them. For the Philadelphia Phillies, they very nearly blew a big lead against the New York Mets, but they were able to get a 9-8 victory for the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a team that they have now won 11 out of their last 14 games. They were up 6-0. They wound up having to go to extra innings, but Mean Gene Segura in the 10th inning was able to go deep off of Miguel Castro for his fifth home run of the campaign. JT Ryumuto wound up getting his 10th of the season, and we saw Hoskins is ninth a little bit earlier as David Peterson got his first start coming off the injured list. He had already made a long relief appearance, but it did not go as planned, giving up five runs over the course of two innings. And then Erasmo Ramirez. This is someone that he has certainly been a journeyman in the major leagues, playing a lot of his career with the Rays and the Seattle Mariners. He winds up coming in for five innings and giving up one run. So he was solid there. Jersich Familia, Spanish for blown safe, had a blown hold in this one. He gives up one run over the course of an inning. That makes me happy. And then Miko Castro gives up that home run. But for the New York Mets, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Jeff McNeil. That is his second of the season that came off of one of the big acquisitions at the trade deadline for this Phillies team in David Phelps. He winds up giving up two runs while recording just one out. And for Zach Wheeler, not a great start, but not a terrible start against his former team, the New York Mets. He gives up three runs over the course of six innings. And then from there, the bullpen, which has been revamped, certainly wasn't terrific. JoJo Romero winds up giving up two runs while recording two outs, but then from there, you had Brandon Workman, Hector Neres, and Tommy Hunter being able to close out the door from there for the Philadelphia Phillies. One of the most exciting teams in all of sports right now is the San Diego Padres, and it certainly wasn't an exciting win, but they wind up getting it over the Colorado Rockies by kind of 1-0. to zero. For the Colorado Rockies, they leave five men on base, they wind up getting seven hits, and they just did nothing with them. Denelson Lamette, absolutely terrific in this one. Seven and two-thirds innings, he punches out 11 of them, he gives up six hits, but if you look at it, seven innings, 11 strikeouts, 7-11, he's always open to punching people out. And then from there, Drew Pomerantz was able to pitch a good ninth inning for this team, and Tim Hill was able to give this team a little bit of relief as well for the San Diego Padres. They went 0-8 with runners in scoring position, but they were able to get to Carlos Estevez out of the bullpen in the ninth inning for Kyle Freeland. Tough luck, no decision here. You go six innings of scoreless baseball. Yancey Almonte and Michael Givens were able to hold down the fort until Mr. Estevez was unable to get the job done. And then, speaking of not getting the job done, that'd be the Houston Astros offense. They wind up losing to the Oakland A's by a count of 6-0. For the A's, they've been one of the top under teams at home so far this year, and it showed as the Astros wind up leaving seven men on base. For Christian Javier, not a bad start. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of five innings, but we were talking about it with our good buddy Patrick Creighton and this Astros bullpen being a little bit shallow. Cy Sneed comes in, he gives up three runs over the course of an inning. Andre Scrub gave up one run as well, but for the Oakland A's, how about how good Chris Bassett was in this one? He took the Astros hook line and sinker going seven innings, giving up no runs in the process, four punch-outs. Jake Diekman and Lou Trevino were able to pitch a good inning there, and for Lou Trevino, he winds up pitching a full inning on three pitches, so I mean, that tells you that the Astros were in a little bit of give-up mode, and then Sam Murphy was out in give-up mode. He went deep off of Christian Javier for his fourth home run in the campaign, so he was certainly able to get the job done, and the San Francisco Giants wound up being the first team to ever get more than three runs in a Zach Gallon start off of them. 4-2 the final this one for Gallon. He gives up all those runs in the sixth inning as he gives up four over the course of five innings, so now he's given up four runs or fewer in every one of his career starts. From there, Junior Guerra was able to come in and hold down the fort along with a couple of new pieces for this team as you wind up having Curry Malaya along with Joe Monopoly come in and give this team a scoreless inning for the years in the Diamondbacks. This team has now scored three runs or fewer in 14 out of their last 18 games. I mean, they are absolutely putrid on offense. Oh, seven with runners in scoring position for Kevin Gosman. 
Cashman. Another solid start. He winds up punching out nine. He goes six innings. He gives up one run in the process. And then you did wind up having Sam Conrad come into this game, and he did give up a home run, giving the Arizona Diamondbacks a little bit of life. David Peralta, his third home run of the campaign, but for the San Francisco Giants, in games that don't involve the Arizona Diamondbacks at home, their overrate is above 80%. When the Arizona Diamondbacks are there, I believe that these two teams have combined for one over in the season series. So that has been very intriguing. And what else is very intriguing is just what is all going on in baseball in general. Ariel Epstein has been doing a great job of tracking all of this. She has been doing great work with the strikeout prop market. And we're going to be talking to her about that along Tuesday's games on the other side right here on the Baseball Bank Podcast. Myself, Greg Peters. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. We've had Ariel Epstein on this podcast once before this season, and she did a terrific job last time we had her on about like four or five weeks ago. So figured we'd bring her back. She does absolutely terrific work with SportsGrid, FanDuel, and a variety of different other entities. And you can follow her on Twitter at Ariel Epstein. Nice and easy. Last name is spelled E-P-S-T-E-I-N. Ariel, it is great to have you back. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. And it's definitely a big difference from what we saw a few weeks ago. We actually have a lot more trends to look at, which is exciting since we are in the final month of the Major League Baseball regular season. It's hard to believe that we're in the last three weeks of the regular season. Obviously, we're going to have 16 teams making the postseason. And what I think is going to be the most interesting case study out of all this is a team that's going to be playing one of those doubleheaders on Tuesday. That'd be the St. Louis Cardinals. Because this is a team that if the season ended right now, based on win percentage, they would be in the playoffs. Obviously, they're going to have to edge out the Cincinnati Reds, Milwaukee Brewers. And if we really, really get crazy, the poopy Pittsburgh Pirates. But with that said, when you take a look at the St. Louis team, I just don't know what to expect out of them because you've seen a couple guys in the starting rotation get hurt. So they've had to call back up Carlos Martinez to be starting one of the games for Tuesday. And this is a team that I just fear is going to run out of gas these next couple weeks. Yeah, I could see where you're coming from there. And the problem with these doubleheaders, too, from a gambling perspective, is the books are really late to book them. It's very tough for a gambler to look at these games in advance, nonetheless a sharp, and try to bet these games overnight. You always get stuck in the situation when you see these doubleheaders. You're not getting props until a lot later than the other games. You're not getting lines out until a lot later. Sometimes you think that the pitching matchup is set, then all of a sudden the next day they just shift on you. I think it's been very tough with these double headers to predict things. But from a St. Louis Cardinals perspective, this Cardinals team is currently sitting in second place behind the Cubs. I think the Cubs have been a pleasant surprise too. The Cubs were one of those teams that shot up for sure in the World Series market when you look at the odds. I'm just going to go back to June 15th. The Chicago Cubs were at 28 to 1. We've seen a little bit of a rise in the Cubs since then as they're now at plus 1550. You could see that there was a little bit of skepticism going into the season because the Cubs had a new manager and he has no managing experience and David Ross, how was he going to do? And so far, the Cubs have been a pleasant surprise. A lot of people thought the Cincinnati Reds would be a team to look at because of their starting pitching, yet 
I was down on the Reds, unlike everyone else who I spoke with, because how is a team that was 20 plus games below 500 all of a sudden going to win a division? It just didn't make much sense to me. Now, in the IL Central, this was one of the divisions going into the season that I thought could be closer than people expected. People were willing to bet on the Athletics in the West, which now looks like a really good bet. I still wasn't down on Houston until the Verlander injury early in the season. And Tampa Bay and the Yankees, everyone thought would be close. Toronto is becoming a dark horse in that division. However, with the AL Central, I thought that the Indians would actually win the division. They were my preseason pick to win the Central. It was the only plus money division winner I had winning. Because not that I placed these bets. Jared Smith, my co-host on the morning after, and I did each division. We predicted every division and how they would end at the end of this season. That was the only American League team that I had plus money winning that division instead of the Minnesota Twins, who were the favorite. So it doesn't shock me to see that the Central is a lot closer than the other divisions in the American League. And the American League Central, in my opinion, is the tightest race that we are finding out there in baseball. You got so many good teams. The Minnesota Twins are going to be taking on the St. Louis Cardinals for a pair, obviously, the Cleveland Indians. If they could just get mediocre hitting at this point, this team would be so dominant. And then another team that I think is going to be very fascinating to look at them when it comes to Tuesday's action, that'd be the Chicago White Sox. As Dylan Cease is going to be going for them, they're going to be going up against Joe Musgrove. I know that you do something called fishy lines, and a pitcher that I've seen on them time and time again is Dylan Cease. As I'm seeing it right now with the Chicago White Sox, they're hovering right around minus 150. And I think a big reason why is because when you take a look at Dylan Cease, 5-2 5-2 record, 329 ERA. That looks terrific on the surface, but you dig a little bit deeper. He's given up nine home runs in those eight starts so far this year. The fielding independent is a 632. That's nearly a three-point difference from his ERA. So that indicates that there's going to be regression coming in. But the big question when it comes to regression is when, because we've seen it happen so many times where it's like, oh, regression is coming, regression is coming. You bet that that regression is going to hit, but it takes like five times to get there. So it's like, oh, yeah, I won my one bet, but it took four losing bets to get there. And I always think that that's one of the trickiest things as a handicapper is to just find that right point in which the regression is going to come and to just not be betting blindly on that to happen and continue to lose until you wind up getting that win. Yeah, and also the thing when you're betting on these money line bets and you see a starting pitcher and you look at their top line even, let's say people don't dig deeper. They see the starter. Okay, that's great. Your starter's only going about six innings anyway. What happens when the bullpens come in? I think the biggest handicap when I'm doing a bet that's not a first five, if I'm betting an entire money line for the entire game, I look at how these bullpens produce. There are some teams that just have some really bad bullpens out there that I wouldn't want to go near them for the last three innings of a game if their starter comes out. I love the first five bets. It's why you have to lay a little bit more juice a lot of the time when there's a big-name starter on the mound. Yet the reason the White Sox are probably so heavily favored in this game, they are 12-2 and as away favorites this year the Chicago White Sox, which is only second best in percentage to the Atlanta Braves, who are 10-1 and on the road as a favorite this year. When the White Sox are favored on the road, the books have been getting it right, and they end up winning these games, and it's not even close. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and the White Sox just keep on putting up runs upon runs. So even though Dylan Cease is doing for some regression, when you take a look at the other side and you see Joe Musgrove, even if Dylan Cease winds up getting hit around well, 
it certainly has not been good news for the Pittsburgh Pirates all year long, to say the least. So it's hard to take that as we do have Ariel Epstein of Sports Grid does a great job with the show morning after joining me right here on the podcast. And it is in my contract since I am from the state of Wisconsin to always talk about the home state team. That'd be the Milwaukee Brewers going on their own face-off against the Detroit Tigers. For the Tigers, they're starting pitcher ERAs north of five, but they've been able to get one starter that has really been able to go. That would be Spencer Turnbull. Now, the last time he wanted facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers, Brewers were actually able to get some offense going. They hung eight runs in that game, but we've also seen with Adrian Elzer after a good start to the year, he has really died down and he has started to regress. As I'm seeing it right now, Brewers are road favorites between minus 110 and minus 120 with a total hovering right around eight and a half, a little bit of juice on the over. How do you see this one? Just because when I take a look at this Brewers team, they have been one of the most unpredictable out there in baseball because the pitching has actually been relatively solid, but you just don't know what you're going to get out of these bats night in and night out. Right, and Milwaukee is just another one of those teams where they're resilient in certain games. I would never want to bet against them on the run line. Detroit's 7-9 and nine when they're a home underdog. Milwaukee's 4-4 four and four on the road as a favorite. I love the analytics of watching these lines. I love watching how the lines open the night before and what they end up moving into the next day. If the lines end up moving in a certain direction and the public's betting a different direction in that reverse line movement, that's the kind of game that I look out for because it is really a toss-up game. I would, if anything, in that game, I would look to find a first five bet because, again, going to the bullpens, what are you going to get out of these bullpens? The Brewers, to me, I always feel like I'm watching them in the ninth inning and somehow someone's coming back, whether it be Milwaukee or the opponent. It just always feels like it's a close game in the eighth and ninth inning in a Milwaukee Brewers game. So I would say for anyone, look at the first five and maybe you could get some good value on the Tigers if you like Turnbull. And it always feels like the Milwaukee Brewers are leaving 15 men on base every game as well. That's a discussion for another day as we know very Lepsy joined me on the podcast. Obviously a little bit of a salty native of the state of Wisconsin, but when it comes to the betting board on Tuesday, is there anything that's really sticking out to you? I always have to do a New York post play of the day and what really stood out to me was the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Mets because this is a rematch of a game from Wednesday of last week in which the Mets were able to win by a kind of nine to four. I'm seeing a total of 10 right now and I just don't see how things are going to be different. John Means and Michael Walker have both posted up ERAs north of seven. When you do get five innings out of these guys, they're giving up four plus runs. John Means was an all-star last year, and I feel like that has made him a little bit overvalued this year because he's given up eight home runs over the course of 20 innings. Michael Walker throughout his career, he gives up nearly four walks per nine innings. He's actually limited that a little bit more this year, but he just gives up contact in general. And we know with both of these teams, they do a good job when it comes to batting average and just being able to get on base in general. Yeah, you're right. And I would love that total, especially when you're facing the Mets, because every time I just seem to find the Mets with whoever it is on the mound, unless it's the Grom, I always say, oh, that looks like a relatively low total for that pitcher, especially when Rick Porcello on the mound. He always yeah. just feels like an over pitcher to me. The funny thing is when you look at the trends, both these teams, the Mets and the Orioles, are at 500 when it comes to over-unders, which I find very interesting because you would think by looking at the starting rotation, this is a no-brainer. And that's not to say their games aren't high scoring. This is about the books. How are the books booking them? 10 is still a very high total. Right now, 10's the highest total on the board for tomorrow's games, which means you might think, yeah, this game's going over because these two pitchers are big-time overs. Well, is 10 too high? That's the question that I always have to ask myself. And again, it goes back to looking at the bullpens. 
which I can go and try to grab those bullpen ERAs right now because I think that the bullpen ERAs are really interesting to look at when you're trying to figure out these games. The relievers right now in Major League Baseball, let's just see how all these teams, the Orioles and the Mets. So the Orioles actually have the ninth ranked ERA in Major League Baseball out of the bullpen with a 3.84, And the Mets are 11th at a 4.15. If you get out of these starting pitchers, these two bullpens aren't bad. In fact, the team that surprises me the most is that the Philadelphia Phillies have the worst bullpen ERA in Major League Baseball with a 7.04. Yet when you look at their starting rotation, sometimes you see these pitchers and you think, oh, Aaron Nola is on the mound. I would love to bet Aaron Nola on the under. Well, what about their bullpen? That's why I think it's so important when watching these and analyzing these games to look at their bullpen ERAs. Taking it a step further, when it comes to the bullpens, what else I think is very important is to see who wound up pitching the night before as well because it's one thing to just take a look at the bullpens and I'm certainly a big bullpen ERA guy because I go with these full games so it is one of these things in which you just naturally have guys that are very trustworthy bullpen arms like you always want to be trying to get Josh Hader when it comes to Milwaukee Brewers coming off a day off obviously we've seen some teams in general like the LA Dodgers Minnesota Twins no matter who's coming out of the bullpen, you feel pretty secure about them. But you do have to just take a look at just some of the guys that wind up getting used up in general because there are some bullpens in which you've got a couple very good bullpen arms and you've got a couple guys after that that it's a massive drop-off. We say that with the Nationals with like Sean Doolittle, Danny Hudson, and pretty much everyone else. I think that that's something important to note as well. And I think it's especially true for the Baltimore Orioles because at the trade deadline, they did give away two of their better bullpen arms in Michael Givens and Miguel Castro. And that's something that I figured in with the Baltimore Orioles as well. Yes. And speaking of giving away some of your best pitchers, the Cleveland Indians giving up Mike Clevenger oh, yeah. at the deadline. Now he's with the San Diego Padres. Clevenger is actually starting, and in his first start as a Padre, six innings pitch, seven hits, two earned runs against the Los Angeles Angels, only two strikeouts, which is relatively low for Clevenger. However, I think that watching how these pitchers come off of that is going to be interesting because that first start when you pick up your life and you move and you have to move everything in your life. We actually on our show had Rachel Luba on, who's an agent for Major League Baseball. She was saying people don't understand how much of a life change it is for these players who have to just pick up and move at the last second without potentially even having knowledge that they were on the chopping block. Now, I think Clevenger and Zach Plesak of the Indians knew that one of them was being dealt. It was going to be which one was going to get more value or whatever it was the Indians were trying to get by getting rid of them. Clevenger clearly had a little bit more appeal than Zach Plesak did going over to San Diego, which... I think is a huge win for Clevenger since the Padres are probably the most underrated team that came into this season. I love what the Padres have actually been able to do in the last few weeks. I think everyone does slam Diego. I looked at the World Series odds when I took that picture of them from the beginning of June. The Padres went from 50 to 1 to now 16 to 1 to win the World yeah, Series. Yeah, I mean, all the grand slams that you have with the San Diego Padres, it is absolutely spectacular as we do have Ariel joining me on the podcast. And is there any other trends that have really been hot for you so far this season? Because obviously there have been some very big ones when it comes to overs and unders. The Giants have been a surprisingly a really good over team at home. I don't know how because we always have the reputation of San Francisco being a very pitcher-friendly park. It's not been the case this year. Obviously, the teams out there in the AL Central, in the 
Twins along with the Indians. They've been hot to the under as well. But is there anything else that's really been sticking out to you since I know that you've been doing a good job of tracking a lot of these trends? I have to tell you my favorite thing ever to bet in Major League Baseball, which honestly, Greg, I haven't even picked a side. I haven't even paid attention much to money lines because I have discovered the strikeout props in the last few years. Once the first few weeks go, these strikeout props are the best thing ever. In my opinion, it is the best market in baseball to start betting on if you haven't done it already. I usually have to wait out the first couple of weeks. We don't have trends. We don't know how certain pitchers have done against certain teams or how certain lineups have done against certain pitchers or lefties or righties. Now that we're more than halfway through the season, yet once we got about two to three weeks in, pitchers were seen for a second time, I started to really hone in on these strikeout props. They are the easiest thing, in my opinion, to handicap. You just have to worry about how many strikeouts a pitcher averages a game. Look at how many strikeouts per nine each team averages. I usually look at the bottom five. I look at the teams that strike out the top five most per nine throughout the season, and I look at the last three games of each of those teams, how many strikeouts they've had. I look at the pitcher they're facing. If the pitcher they're facing is a strikeout pitcher, and he's been averaging over whatever the K-prop number is for a majority of the games that season, I love those. They've been easy to handicap, in my opinion, if you just really boggle down and look into the numbers. It's easy. Whereas when you're trying to bet a money line or a run line or a total, Major League Baseball is amazing because you just really never know on any given day what can happen. There are so many games in a season, even 60. Think about it. In the NFL, we're betting 16, 17 games a regular season. And then you have Major League Baseball. There's just so much volatility in it. However, the pitchers and strikeouts those are pretty consistent. We've noticed that Shane Bieber has been such a good strikeout prop guy. I think that every one of the strikeout props that he's had so far this year posted have went over. So obviously you've got that going on. And typically that goes hand in hand with the under because the only Shane Bieber start that has went over so far this year was the game in which they played against the Chicago White Sox that went to X running. So that certainly has been very good to say the least if you've been taking a look at unders you want to try to avoid like playing a full game under you want to avoid the bullpens you're obviously able to go with these strikeout props so I think that that is some very good advice there and Ariel you lend out a ton of very good advice on Sports Grid you do the morning after with Jared Smith who has also been on this podcast you guys have been very kind to us and I know that you do a great job with so many other things like I mentioned a little bit earlier you do like your little fishy lines thing a couple times a week as well and you do so much else so let the good people at home know where they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're working on in general. Yeah, you can find us all over. I'm on Ariel Epstein on Twitter, Ari Epst on Instagram. I post polls that are fun to take as well. We do segments about fading the public, seeing where the public feels about certain game series or even hot takes in sports. And then we talk about them and see if we feel the same way. Definitely Twitter and Instagram are the main ones and all over the sports grid platforms as well, especially as the football season's coming up. We're going to have so much content between Major League Baseball playoffs, the NBA and NHL playoffs, and the NFL season. I do have a feeling that the NFL season is certainly going to be the most difficult to handicap ever just because what baseline do we have for a season in which there were no joint practices, there were no preseason games, 
That is going to be so interesting. I know that you guys over there at Sports Grid are going to do a terrific job. And Ariel in general just does amazing work. So big thanks, sir, for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Tuesday's MLB betting board and a little something you like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Ariel Epstein of SportsGrid for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Tuesday's MLB Betting Board and a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRSCordy1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and the ones that are really going to be the tough ones are the double headers because we don't have numbers on a lot of these, but I will certainly do my best. And this begins with 951-952 on the betting board. The Tampa Bay Rays on the road facing off against the Washington Nationals as you've got Anibal Sanchez going for the Nets. Meanwhile, you've got Ryan Yarbrough on the bump for the Tampa Bay Rays. If you're looking at the Rays, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 150 and minus 160. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Nationals is anywhere between plus 135 and now seeing as high as a plus 147 with the Nationals. It certainly has not been a good run of things for Anibal Sanchez. He is 1-4 with a 640 ADRA. Give up 9 home runs in 33 and a third innings to go with 10 walks and 24 punch outs. Meanwhile, for Riarbro, he has had his struggles as well, but he's been doing a better job recently. He got a little bit roughed up at the beginning of the year. Recent starts have been solid. He has given up a wide variety of things. He has given up 4-plus runs in 3 out of his 5 starts so far this year, but in 2 out of his last 3, he's given up 0. So, I mean, it is one of these things where you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him from a night-in, night-out basis, but we do know that the Rays have won the better bullpens out there in the big leagues and the Washington Nationals, not so much. Now, with that Nationals bullpen, it actually is going to be well-rested as Max Scherzer was able to give the team seven solid innings on Monday, but this is also a Washington team that... They've been doing a solid job of putting bat to ball, but Juan Soto still currently out of the fold. He's hitting well above a 350. I will say this. Ever since Brock Holt got to Washington, he's all of a sudden been able to find something. With the Nationals, he's hitting above a 300. You've got Trey Turner down for what? Hitting a 362, 413 on base. And then Kurt Suzuki, Josh Harrison, both guys hitting between a 290 and a 300 as well. But Adam Eaton, Eric Thames, Carter Keyboom, Michael A. Taylor, all hitting a 220 or lower. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Rays team. They've got just functional power, and they've really been getting something out of little-known Randy Arizarena. How about him coming in from St. Louis? He's got a 550 on base, 471 batting average, four home runs in like a week. It's absolutely insane. Brandon Lau along with Joey Wendell have been two concerts for the same inning between a 250 and a 260. And then you've got a couple guys that you just expect a little bit more from. Yoshi Tsutsogo has come over from the MPB, and he, along with Brett Phillips, Austin Meadows, and G-Man Choi, are leading a 225 or lower. I will say, Kevon Smith has given a little bit of something to the catcher spot, hitting nearly a 275, because you take a look at their other catchers in Michael Perez and Mike Zanino, both of these guys hitting well below 200, but I do think that in this matchup, we're going to see Ryan Yarbrough probably go something like five innings, give up three to four runs, but I think Anibal Sanchez gets absolutely crushed. 
gosh, guys like Ryan Harper and company coming out of the bullpen, they're not going to be able to get the job done. So for that reason, I'm going to be looking at the race in this spot along with this total over. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board is up next. You've got yourself the Cleveland Indians playing against the Kansas City Royals. Jacob Junis goes for the Royals. Meanwhile, Tristan McKenzie is going to be going for the Windians. If you're looking at the Indians, well, you're going to be laying it here. Anywhere between minus 215 and minus 235. Meanwhile, plus price here on the Royals is anywhere between plus 190 and plus $2. You're games 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. For McKenzie, he has been lights out ever since getting the call up to the big leagues. He's made three starts and he has given up a grand total of three runs in those starts. Now, he has given up two home runs, but how about 19 punch outs for the young man over the course of 16 innings? He's looked very solid. Command has been good. Only four walks so far. And for Jacob Junis, Certainly has not pitched bad. 432 ERA. He's made four starts. His last start against the Indians. He didn't give great lengths, but he didn't get rocked either. He gave up two runs over the course of four innings, and that's really been the MO of Jacob Junis. He's went between three and a third and four and two-thirds innings in pretty much all of his starts so far this year. So he certainly has not necessarily lended the best of length. And for the Kansas City Royals, bullpen isn't terrible. Bullpen at the same time isn't great. Guys like Greg Holland and company have been able to do a solid job. I do think that Jake Newberry is going to be a solid cog for this team as well, but then you just take a look at the flip side for the Cleveland Indians. This is a bunch that they have been lights out when it comes to their bullpen, but James Karinczak has shown a little bit of mortalness recently, and for the Cleveland Indians, this is a team that is towards the top of the big leagues in stranding men on base because they just can't hit with men in scoring position. Big reason why is because the Cleveland Indians' batting average is very low, but they actually get men on base because because they do a good job of drawing walks. That is really encapsulated by the fact that you've got a bunch of guys hitting between a 238 and a 250 on this team. Taylor Naquin, Josh Naylor, Mike Freeman, Jose Ramirez, all in that fold. You've got Cesar Hernandez hitting a 265, Francisco Lindor more around a 285, and Framiel Reyes has been absolutely terrific. 322 batting average. He's been able to give the team quite a few RBI, but then Roberto Perez along with Sandy Leon, Austin Hedges, Oscar Mercado, Jordan Luplo, all guys are in below a 200 for the Kansas City Royals. Certainly has been an almighty struggle for this team recently. You've got Puppet Starlin along with Whit Mirfield, Hunter Dozier, and Eduardo Oliveras all in between a 242 and a 250 for this bunch. For Mirfield, he got off to a good start to the year and he's now sunk back down to earth a little bit. Orde Soler has been out of the fold recently, but Adelberto Mondesi had his first home run of the season and he crushed it like 450 feet. That's a good sign for this team. He's got some good wheels. Cam Gallagher and... Mikel Franco are both in between a 255 and a 270 as well, so they've been able to do a solid job there. I do think that the Royals are going to be able to get a solid five innings out of Jacob Junis in the spot, and for McKenzie, he's looked solid in his first couple starts, but second time seeing him for the Kansas City Royals, I think that they're going to be able to get to him for just enough offense here. I think that this is going to be another game in which the Indians just strand a couple too many men on base, so I'm going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be riding with the Royals. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board is up next. Toronto, aka Buffalo Blue Jays, are playing us the New York Yankees. J.A. Hapeparay is going to be going for the Yankees. Meanwhile, Taiwan Walker on the bump for the Blue Jays. If you're looking at the Jays, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 105 and minus 118. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Yankees, you're going to be finding them as high as plus 105 as well as minus 105. Totals ranging between 10 and 10.5. And on the 10.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. On the 10, you're finding that over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. For J.A. App, he's actually looked a little bit more decent in his last couple starts. 468 ERA. 
Here's the thing, though. He's given up five home runs in 25 innings so far this year. He is having a pitch in Buffalo, which is very, very hitter-friendly, so that is not necessarily terrific. And he's just been all over the place because with Hap, he's made five starts so far this year. He's given up zero or one run in two of them. That was a start against the New York Mets and a start against the Boston Red Sox at home. His two starts on the road, along with his start against the Philadelphia Phillies, he gave up four in each of those, and all of those starts went five innings or fewer, so he certainly have had a tale of two seasons there. Meanwhile, for Taiwan Walker, he's actually looked very good ever since coming over to Toronto. He's made two starts for the team. He has won a grand total of 11 and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs in those starts. Even with Seattle, he was doing a solid job. He's really come as a little bit of a surprise because because this is someone that has been banged up throughout his career. And he has given up six home runs over the course of 38 and two-thirds innings. And it does seem like the Yankees lineup is starting to come alive a little bit more. It wasn't their fault that the Toronto Blue Jays wound up hanging a 10 spot in the sixth inning on Monday. But you take a look at this Yankees lineup. You've got DJ LeMayu, a little bit above a 400 on base percentage, 362 batting average. Luke Voigt has been doing a great job. He's got for the team 13 home runs. He's hitting at 275. Clint Frazier has been hitting more around a 285 as well. Miguel Anduar seems to be coming around. He and Glaber Torres, along with Aaron Hicks, are hitting between a 209 and a 233. You expect more out of all three of those guys, but then you got Thario Estrada, Kyle Gashioka, along with Brett Gardner, all hitting a 200 or lower. It has been very brutal. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, they're dealing with an injury to Teoscar Hernandez, but even without him in the fold on Monday, this is a team that they were still able to generate a whole lot, and you're seeing Santiago Espinal, along Jonathan Villar, Travis Shaw, and Kevon Biggio, only between a 234 and a 252, but all these guys do a solid job, aside from really Espinal of being able to get on base, and you've seen the rise of Vagaro Jr. hitting right around a 260. Rowdy Tellez is hitting a 291. That is a big jump from what he was doing during the 2019 campaign. Catcher spot with Janie Jansen and company. Still a little bit of a sore spot, but I think that they should be able to get to Hap with the dimensions of this ballpark. I think that this total is too low, and I certainly think that the Blue Jays, a team with actually a top-down bullpen out there in the big leagues, should be able to get to a Yankees team that they had to burn through their entire pen because Jordan Montgomery didn't give a lot of innings, and then they had to burn through a whole bunch of guys after Adam Adovino wound up getting absolutely crushed on Monday. So we're going to be going with this total over, and we're going to be riding with the Blue Jays. 957-958 on the betting board is up next. We've got the Philadelphia Phillies playing out the Boston Red Sox, and this is going to be part of a double dip. This is going to be game one of it as... Martin Perez is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin is going to be going for the Phillies. In Game 2, as I'm seeing right now, Boston is yet to determine their starter for Game 2, and this will be 983-984, by the way. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, Mr. Vince Velasquez is going to be getting the start with the Boston Red Sox. For Game 2, you got to think that it's going to be some sort of a bullpen game. Even if it's not what they set out to do, it's going to be a bullpen game because the starter is probably not going to be able to make it through more than three innings. So you just expect a bullpen game in Game 2. Meanwhile, for Game 1, Martin Perez has actually been halfway decent for this team. If you're taking a look at Perez... I mean, it certainly could be better than a 407 ERA, but he has given up just five home runs over the course of 42 innings. Swing and miss stuff is not there. He's given out just 29 punch outs and 18 walks in the 42 innings, but by and large, he's been okay. And then with Zach Eflin, he's not been Eflin great. He's not been Eflin awful. You take a look at what he's done recently. He's given up three plus runs in four out of his last five starts, but he has not given up more than four runs in any of them. So he's not getting destroyed. He's not necessarily pitching terrific. He's given up four home runs in 32 and a third innings, along with eight walks. So he keeps the game out in front of him with the Phillies. As we were talking about with Ariel, they have the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but you bring in former ironically enough, Boston Red Sox Heath Embry along with Brandon Workman and David Hale to be able to shore that up. And the team might be a little bit taxed with the pen because they did have to go to extra innings with the New York Mets on Monday, but 
You have a bunch of guys that are doing a great job of being able to get on base to be able to back them up. Alec Baum, Gene Segura, JT Riamuto, D.D. Gregorius are all guys hitting between a 260 and a 275. And Bryce Harper is in that fold as well, but he's also got a 426 on base. Reese Hoskins is hitting a 254, but he's got a 405 on base, so these guys have been pretty rock solid there. For Andrew McCutcheon, a little bit of an up and down season, but he and Adam Aisley are hitting between a 243 and a 250 as well. You've just got power all over the lineup with Riamuto giving the team 10 home runs. Reese Hoskins has went deep nine times, and for Bryce Harper, 21 RBI and 7 bombs as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Boston Red Sox. Alex Verdugo is hitting above a 300. He's been rock solid for the team. Xander Bogarts, 10 home runs, 281 batting average, but obviously the loss of Mitch Moreland leaves a little bit of a hole with this offense. Now the Boston Red Sox have been able to generate a couple more runs. They were able to do so in that series against the Toronto Blue Jays, and you are getting a little bit of something out of guys like Kevin Ploiecki, Jose Peraza, and company that have been nice surprises. And Michael Javis now has the batting average back up to a 235, but you now have Bobby Dahl back in the fold because Mitch Moreland wound up getting traded away. He's hitting well below a 200. You've got J.D. Martinez along with the aforementioned Peraza. And then you've got a little bit of an interesting infielder in Jonathan Arus. All these guys are in between a 225 and a 240. There just are a lot of slugs in this lineup. Now, I will say, Yario Munoz is hitting a 476, but that is not going to last. I can tell you that much. Christian Vasquez, after he wound up hitting four home runs in like the first week and a half of the season, he's still sitting on four home runs. So this is a total that in game one, if it's north of seven, I might be taking a look at the under. Probably would be taking a look at the Philadelphia Phillies if the money line is respectable. In game two, I'm probably going to be hammering that over because Vince Velasquez, oh boy, it has not necessarily went terrifically for him. You just say the word Vince Velasquez and you just say, oh boy, that sounds like runs as he's went 15 innings so far this year. 20 strikeouts, but 11 walks and 4 home runs to go with it, a 6.60 ERA. And then you're probably going to get someone like Austin Bryce for the Boston Red Sox. If you're seeing a total that is south of 8.5 in game two with... Good old Vince Velasquez going on the mound. I'll probably take it over. It's going to depend on who the Boston Red Sox trot out there and the price for game two. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41, but that's where I'm looking there. 959-960 on the betting board is up next. Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be walking the plank back home to face off against the Chicago White Sox. Dylan Cease and Decease going to be going for the White Sox. Meanwhile, you've got Joe Musgrove on the bump for the Buckos. If you're taking a look at the White Sox, anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150 is the money line price there. With the Pirates, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus one. 128 and plus 135 total on this game is 9.5 with the 9.5 the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 meanwhile the under is the same minus 105 to minus 115 and this is a situation in which I've got to be taking a look at the White Sox I was talking about the possibility of regression for Dylan Cease and I certainly do think that it's there the fielding independent is north of six the ERA is a 329 he's given up nine home runs of 41 innings along 20 walks but he's also going up against Joe Musgrove with his 662 ERA he's given up 11 walks in 17 and two-thirds innings and he's given up four home runs with the White Sox you've got guys like Alex Colome Evan Marshall and company in the bullpen for the Pittsburgh Friars. You've got guys like Chris Stratton along with Davies Nevikoraskis and gentlemen like that. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, my goodness, this lineup has not been good all year long, and that's putting it politely. I will say Eric Gonzalez is actually doing a halfway decent job of getting on base. He's hitting nearly a 290. Jacob Stallings has been able to give this team a little bit of something as well, hitting just below 309. Cabrian Hayes, the Sayays kid, is hitting a 389. Those are really the only guys, aside from Colin Moran, hitting above a 255. For Colin Moran, he's actually been quite solid. 350 on base, 7 home runs. But then you take a look at 
Adam Frazier, Josh Bell, Brian Reynolds, along with John Ryan Murphy. All these guys are earning a 235 or lower. It's been brutal. And then for the White Sox, this is a team that is pumping out a touchdown on a night-in, night-out basis. Jose Abreu, I mean, 315 batting average, 13 home runs, league-leading 40 RBI. Tim Anderson is hitting a 350. he He's got some pop in the bat. You've got Luis Robert, who is hitting right around a 275. He's obviously able to hit home runs. Edwin Encarnacion got off to a rough start to the year, but his home run against the Kansas City Royals on Sunday should be able to help him out. Yasmani Grandal has been able to pick it up. He now is there right around a 380 on base. Eloy Jimenez is hitting a 280. He's got some great power. Daniel Mendick has been scuffling a little bit, but that's where you get Yomer Sanchez in the fold. He's hitting a 333. Nick Madrigal has been in and out of the fold, but whenever he's been in it, he has been doing an absolutely superb job. I think that this is a spot in which the Pirates are going to be able to get a couple runs, but I think that this is also a situation in which Joe Musgrove gets hit, and he gets hit hard, so for that reason, I'm going to be taking this total over and riding with the Chicago White Sox. 961-962 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Detroit Tigres, and they're going to be playing us to the Milwaukee Brewers. Adrian Hauser is going to be going for the Brew Crew. Meanwhile, you are going to be getting good old Spencer Turnbull for the Detroit Tigers. Hold on this game, Zayn F with the over. You're finding that anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 110. Seeing nine out there as well. That under is minus 125 and the over is plus 105. If you're looking at the Brewers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 117 and minus 125. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Detroit Tigers is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. Spencer Turnbull wound up getting a little bit lit up in his last start against the Milwaukee Brewers, but by and large, he's been solid so far this year. 3-2 record, 3.89 ERA, keeps the ball in the yard. One home run, give it up in 34 and two-thirds innings. Obviously, out there in the city of Detroit, the ball is going to be flying a little bit less than it would at Miller Park, so that is going to be an advantage for the Detroit Tigers. This is a team that they've actually been playing some solid baseball recently. I know that they are losers of five out of their last six, but a lot of those games were one-run games that they played against the Minnesota Twins, so I do think that there is some promise there. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, I mean, what are you going to get out of this offense? It is a big, giant question mark. You've just got a bunch of guys that they're not able to get on base. Kessinier has been able to give the team a double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 232. Ben Gamble hitting a 242. Daniel Vogelback, ever since he came to Milwaukee, is hitting a 444 before the year. He's still hitting well below a 200. Christian Yelich is still hitting a 201. Orlando Arcia and Luis Arias are hitting between a 243 and a 267. Jace Peterson hitting a 240. And then you've got a whole bunch of guys like Ryan Braun and company that are hitting right around a 205. Justin Smoke was such a big, giant heap of smoke that he wound up getting DFA'd. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, you've got a lot more promise with this team as you've got quite a few guys that are hitting a 275 or greater. You take a look at what you're able to get out of Victor Reyes, Jonathan Scope, Jamir Candelario, Willie Castro. They've all been doing a good job of getting on base. Austin Romine has seen his batting average regress a little bit, but he's still hitting right around a 250 along with Miguel Cabrera. And then you've been able to get a little bit less out of the bottom of the fold. Guys like Jorge Bonifacio, Travis Emright, Christian Stewart, Isaac Paredes. They're hitting a 200 or lower, but by and large, they've been solid. And for the Detroit Tigers, guys like Gregory Soto, Kyle Funkhauser and company, they've been very good out of the bullpen. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, guys like Eric Yardley, Devin Williams, they're going to be rested for this game since they had a day off on Monday. They're pretty solid, so I think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. But in the end, I trust in the bats of the Tigers a little bit more. And for Adrian Hauser, this is someone in which the bottom has just been falling out on him. He now has a 497 ERA. You take a look at what he's done recently. He's given up at least three runs in each out 
out of his last five starts. I see him giving the team right around five innings and three runs once again in this start. So for that reason, going to be going with the Tigers and the total under as well. We move on to 963-964 on the betting board. Miami Marlins hit the road face off against the Atlanta Bravos. Kyle Wright goes for the Braves. Meanwhile, Sixto Sanchez goes for the Miami Marlins. If you're looking at this total, it is 9.5. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're taking a look at the Atlanta Braves, it's anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Miami Marlins, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. For Sanchez, this guy has been very electrifying for the Miami Marlins. He's got a 100 mile per hour fastball, 1 1 record, 237 ERA over the course of his couple starts. He has given up three home runs, but what I'm really impressed about is the fact that he's able to throw 100 miles an hour. He's given out one walk in 19 innings. That's absolutely ridiculous. He has went at least five innings in all three of his starts, going seven in each out of his last two as well, so he's been able to give the teams a good length. He has been absolutely amazing. Meanwhile, for Kyle Wright, he has been amazingly bad at the major league level as he's got currently a career record of 0-6 with a 7.52 ERA. He has been sort of up and down so far this year. Last time he made a start was against Miami Marlins. He went three innings, he gave up three runs, and the team lost by a count of 8-2. I mean, this is just someone that he's made four starts so far this year. He's went north of three and a third innings in just one of them, and in that one start, he did still wind up giving up four runs. So, I mean, it has been absolutely terrible for the Atlanta Braves. You do have a little bit of a better bullpen. Guys like Darren O'Day, Mark Melanson, Shane Green, who wound up getting used up on Monday. The list goes on and on. They've got some trustworthy guys there, but for the Miami Marlins, despite the fact that they're relying upon guys like Josh A. Smith and company, they've actually been able to do a solid job now. Brandon Kitzler, Nick Vincent, Brad Boxberger, James White and company, they wound up getting used up in the team's win on Monday, but I think that Sanchez should be able to give them some length. And for the Miami Marlins, it's sort of been a little bit of a hodgepodge on offense, but they've been able to get a little bit of something going, especially with Starling Marte coming over from the Arizona Diamondbacks. So Marte Parte is hitting a 300 for the team. Asus Aguiar, along with Matt Joyce. These guys are hitting between a 270 and a 280. You've had Garrett Cooper sink with his batting average a little bit, but he, along with John Birdie, Lewis Brinson, hitting between a 235 and a 250 as well. Corey Dickerson needs to give this team a little bit more of something, but Miguel Rojas is hitting a 375 as well. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, this has certainly been a high-powered offense. Dansby Swanson, Freddie Freeman, Marcel Zuna, Travis DeArnaud are all guys that are hitting above a 300 for this bunch. Adam Duvall had a nice pinch hit home run on Monday. He's now hitting a 265. And Danny Echevarria has certainly hiked up his average. He and Nick Marquez is hitting between a 255 and a 260. Ronald Cunha Jr. is back. He's got a 424 on base. He's been doing a good job of being able to just fill out the box score. Nine home runs for him already this year, despite the fact that he missed a couple games due to injury. But with that said, I do think that the Miami Marlins are going to be able to get a very good start here out of Sanchez. The big question is, is Kyle Wright going to give up more or less than five runs? I'm going to be going with the latter. I'm going to be going with more. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the over in this spot. And I am going to be riding with the Miami Marlins. 965, 966 on the betting board is up next. You've got the New York Mets, and they are going to be playing us to the Baltimore Orioles. John Means goes for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Michael Waka Waka Waka. Going to be going for the New York Mets. Your total on this game is between 9.5 and, and 10. If you're looking at the 9.5, over is just a minus 130. The under is plus 110. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the 10, under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 130. I can't believe what I'm reading right now. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the over, it is anywhere between plus 110 and minus 115. So, needless to say, this is all over the place. If you're looking at the Metropolitans, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 180 and minus 190. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Orioles is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 175. And this is a spot where I do see a little bit of value on the Baltimore Orioles. This is my New York post play of the day. I wound up writing up the over for them. With John Means, it has been a rough start to the year, to say the least. 
He has went 20 innings and he's given up double the amount of home runs as he has walks. Eight home runs to four walks. That's absolutely insane. Meanwhile, for Michael Walker, how do you have any faith in this guy? He's got like a career four walks per nine innings. He's actually done a little bit of a better job with that this year, giving up seven walks in 20 innings, but he's also given up four home runs so far this year. 7.20 ERA, and when you take a look at the New York Mets, they wound up having to use up a whole bunch of bullpen pieces because they wound up going to extra innings with the Philadelphia Phillies on Monday. What this means is that Miguel Castro is not going to be coming out of the bullpen. Jurisic Familia and Edwin Diaz wound up getting used up as well. That is not necessarily ideal, but for the New York Mets, I will say that their offense has been very solid. Both of these offenses rank at the top two of their respective leagues when it comes to batting average. You've been able to get a whole lot from the middle of the lineup when it comes to the New York Mets as Robinson can Dominic Smith, Michael Conforto, along with Jeff McNeil, are all hitting a 298 or higher. And then you've got Andres Jimenez coming on. He's hitting a 290. Luis Galorme. I don't know why this guy isn't getting more at bats. 395 batting average, 471 on base. Now, Robinson Torinos has been about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. And the Todd Father, Todd Frazier, not necessarily doing a lot, but you've got JD Davis hitting a 280. Pete Alonso has been up and down, but he certainly has been able to deliver some home runs. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Baltimore Orioles. You still have Anthony Santander hitting for 11 home runs and a 260 batting average. Answer Alberto hitting above a 300. Ryan Mountcastle has come in and he's been able to do a very good job with a 300 batting average. For DJ Stewart, he was really scuffling going into the team series against the New York Yankees. He had three home runs in two days against them. Now you have a couple guys towards the bottom of the fold that they need to pick it up. Andrew Velasquez, Mason Williams, along with Brian Holiday and Rio Ruiz, all guys hitting at 230 or lower, along with Stewart. But Pedro Severino is hitting at 315. He has been doing a very good job for this team. I really like this Baltimore Orioles team top to bottom. They, even though they did wind up selling off a couple pieces at the deadline, I still think that their bullpen is going to be a little bit more rested and it's going to be a little bit more solid as you do still have a very solid guy in Cole Solzer who's able to close out games. He certainly has been touched up a little bit more, but Tanner Scott has been trustworthy as well. I think that this is going to be a high scoring game. I think that the Orioles are going to be able to get the job done against Michael Waka whose walks problem I think is going to come to the forefront in this game. So we're going to be going with the over and the plus price here with the Orioles. 967-968 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati who are on the road facing off against the Chicago Cubs. Alec Mills goes for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Tyler Molly is going to be on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. We've got no total since this is a game at Wrigley Field as per normal. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the money line with the Cubbies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 112 and minus 120. Your price here with the Red Legs is anywhere between even money and seeing as high as a plus 108. This is a situation which Alex Mills has just not been good for the Chicago Cubs recently. You take a look at what he's been able to do for 2020. First couple starts were solid. He now has a 5.50 ERA. He's not a hard tosser. 26 punch shots in 37 and two-thirds innings. And all of a sudden, he's starting to give up home runs. He's given up six of them so far this year. And if you're looking more specifically, he's given up at least one home run in each out of his last five starts. And in each out of his last five starts, he's given up at least three runs. He has been able to give the team length at least five innings in three of those starts. But, oh man, it's not necessarily terrific for the Cubs bullpen has not been great for the Cincinnati Reds. Their bullpen has been a little bit of a problem, but I trust in guys like Rossi Iglesias and company a little bit more than the Cubs, especially whenever you bring out their Craig Kimbrell. And for Molly, he has been the victim of just bad luck recently with the Cincinnati Reds. I think that over the course of his last 40 starts, the Reds have won fewer than 10 of them, but for Molly, what he's done recently is actually pretty terrific. In his last two starts, he has given up five runs over the course of 13 and two-thirds innings, and he's got 14 punch-outs in the process as well. Now, now, this is also someone that's giving up a bunch of home runs. He's given up six of them over the course of his last four starts, but what he's also done a very good job of 
being able to limit the walks a little bit more. 12 walks over the course of 30 innings is not necessarily terrific, but he has done worse in his career. And for the Cincinnati Reds, you got to feel like the offense at some point is going to pick it up a little bit. And they did get a little bit of a good sign over the weekend with Eugenio Suarez being able to go deep three times. He is now hitting right around a 200. And you got a bunch of other guys that they're hitting right around that 210 or lower range as Freddie Galvis, Shogo Akiyama, Brian Goodwin in his time with the Reds. Overall, he's a little bit higher, but he falls into this category along with Matt Davidson are all there. And then you got a bunch of guys like Joey Votto, Nick Cassianos, Mike Moustakis, Kyle Farmer hitting between a 230 and a 245. Kirk Cazale along with Tucker Barnard have been useful at the catcher spot of being able to give this team absolutely nothing whatsoever. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, well, it's been a rough ride for them on offense as well. They were able to get a nice win on Monday against the St. Louis Cardinals, but with that said, you still have a bunch of guys that they need to do a much better job of getting on base. Now, I will say, Ian Apaparay along with Jason Hayward, our pair of guys are hitting right around at 300. Jason Kipnis, 394 on base, 273 batting average. That has been rock solid, but then you've got Wilson Contreras, Victor Garantini, Cameron Maben, Nico Horner, Kyle Schwarber, Javi Baez, Anthony Brizzo, Chris Bryant, all hitting a 245 or lower. Congratulations, that's called not good. Now, I will say for Anthony Rizzo, he's been doing a good job of being able to drive in a couple runs recently. He's got given the team nine home runs so far this year, but man, it has been a little bit brutal for the Chicago Cubs. Obviously, the bullpen is going to be well-rested as well because Kyle Hendricks, a professor, really went to work against the St. Louis Cardinals on Monday. But with that said, we're going to be taking a look at the Cincinnati Reds in this spot. I have a lot more faith in Molly than I do Mills. With regards to the total, it's going to need to rely on the wind a little bit. Both of these guys, they don't necessarily bode well to giving up five balls if the wind is blowing out then I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the over. But as per usual, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jerry41 for set plays there. This is going to be a part of one of those double dips as well. 969, 970 on the betting board. you got the St. Louis Cardinals, and they are going to be playing host to the Minnesota Twins. In game one, it's going to be Jose Barrios going for the Twins. Meanwhile, Carlos Martinez goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. In game two, this is going to be 981-982. It is going to be a bullpen game for the St. Louis Cardinals as Dominique Leon going to be going for the Cardinals. Meanwhile, Randy Dominic is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins with the Twins game with Barrios versus Martinez. You've got something up at Bet Online that says that the Twins are a minus 127 favorite, where the Cardinals are plus 117. Total on this game is 7. Under is minus 130. Over is minus 110. And we've got absolutely Jack Diddley squat for the second game between Dominic and Leon. If you're taking a look at game two, the game in which we have absolutely no numbers for, for Randy Dominic, you've sort of figured that a little bit of regression was going to be coming in. And he certainly faced that against the Detroit Tigers recently. He has only given up three home runs over the course of 39 and two-thirds innings, though. The 10 walks are very solid. He's just not much of a swing. And this guy, 21 punch outs so far this year. He really relies upon soft contact. He wound up giving up in one of those double dip starts against the Detroit Tigers. Six runs over the course of four and a third innings, but by and large, he's been solid. Other than that, he's really went five innings, giving up two runs of fear and pretty much all of his other starts, so he's been able to do a good job there. And then when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, you also do have Daniel Ponce de Leon, who might start in this one. They've got a Dominic Leon, and then they've got Daniel Ponce de Leon. I've got to think that it's going to be Ponce de Leon, and what that means is that this is still going to be a bullpen game because you take a look at Daniel Ponce de Leon. He's made, I believe, five appearances so far this year, and he has went three and two-thirds innings or fewer in four of them. So, I mean, this is pretty much the same difference right here. It's one of those things where you've got two guys that are very similar, and you know what? It's not going to make much of a difference, and I would actually feel better about taking the Twins with Daniel Ponce de Leon because he's been absolutely terrible this year. He just jacks up his pitch count, 14 walks and 12 and two-thirds innings. He has no command whatsoever. He's given up four home runs, seven punch-outs in those 12 and two-thirds innings, but 782 ERA, 
189 whip. I always say that if your whip would be a good bench rest number for a set of 10, you're not doing well. I wish I could do a buck 89 for a set of 10. So we're certainly probably going to be taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals in game two because, again, I think that Jake Woodford is probably going to be called upon in long relief in that game. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at game one for Mr. Jose Barrios going up against Carlos Martinez for Martinez, he has made one start so far this year, and it did not necessarily go as planned against the Minnesota Twins. He's someone that actually has spent a lot of time as a reliever and a lot of time as a starter, and the numbers throughout his career have been similar, but I mean, you just take a look at what he did against the Minnesota Twins in his first start of the year. He gave up six runs in two and two-thirds innings, so I mean, it was just absolutely terrible what he wound up going through there. Meanwhile, for Berrios, this is someone that he just doesn't pitch the same on the road versus at home. You take a look at his splits for the 2020 season. At home, 267 ERA, 3-2 record. On the road, he's made three starts, 720 ERA. On the road, he has given up three home runs in those three starts at home. Two home runs given up over the course of five starts. So it's just a big demonstrative difference with the Minnesota Twins and the St. Louis Cardinals. Both of these teams have solid bullpens. And for the Minnesota Twins, this is a team that they've been able to do a solid job of being able to barrel up some balls. But with that said, they need to do a little bit of a better job of getting on base. As you've got Jake Cave, Ahir Adrianza, along with Marwin Gonzalez, Josh Donaldson, Max Kepler, who's currently injured, all hitting a 230 or lower. I will say this, they've been able to get a little bit of something out of Eddie Rosario, who's hitting right around at 250 for this bunch. Byron Buxton has come back and he's been able to provide a little bit of pop 250 batting average. Now, he's drawn one walk so far this year, but by and large, he's been able to do a solid job. And they've been able to get a little bit of something out of Ryan Jeffries, who's been able to give this team a 265 batting average. And then you take a look at the flip side for the St. Louis Cardinals. I was talking about this with Ariel. I just feel like this is a team that's going to wind up running out of gas eventually. You take a look at what happened to the team in their loss on Monday. They had to go to the bullpen for quite a few innings because you don't mess with the Johan Oviedo, wound up going four and two-thirds innings there. They've currently got... Their pitcher from the KBO, Juan Young Kim, currently on the injured list. So that means that they're down another starter that they badly need. So that means more innings for the bullpen. But I will say this for the St. Louis Cardinals. They have been able to get some solid contact out of Paul Goldschmidt and Brad Miller. For Miller, he's hitting right around at 290. But the on-base is a 418 for Paul Goldschmidt. 324 batting average. He absolutely tattooed a ball a couple days ago against the Chicago Cubs. Paul DeYoung hitting a little bit above the 300 as well. And then you've got also Yadier Molina along Colton Wong and Tommy Edmond. Only between a 254 and a 276 Harrison Bader has been able to pick things up. He's got a 370 on base. You need a little bit more out of guys like Matt Carpenter, Matt Wieters, Tyler O'Neill. All these guys are hitting a 200 or lower along with Lane Thomas, but you have been able to get some solid hitting there. I do think that the Minnesota Twins are going to be able to bust out, though, in this double dip. Carlos Martinez is a guy that I have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. Jose Barrios is terrible on the road. So in Game 1, we're going to be going with the Twins and this total over in Game 2. Likely going to be looking at the Twins. Total is going to depend on the number. I'd probably be looking at an over up until 8. If you'd reach 8.5, then I'd be looking at an under. But check back in the running on my Twitter feed at Jairus41. Lots of things are going to be going into that one. 971-972 on the betting board is up next. The Walker, Texas Rangers play LC LA Angels. Andrew Heaney is going to be going for the Halos. Meanwhile, you've got Lance Lynn on the bump for the Texas Rangers. If you're looking at the Walker, Texas Rangers, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. If you're looking to lay it with the Halos, anywhere between minus 117 and minus 130. Your total on this game is 8 over under both at minus 110. With Lance Lynn, he has been really the lone bright spot for the Texas Rangers. This is a Rangers team that has lost 17 out of their last 20 games ever since the Fernando Tatis Jr. situation. I mean, they have been all out of sorts. I think that Lance Lynn has two of those wins. I mean, he has really been the only guy that has been able to give this team any 
any sort of hope whatsoever. He has won six plus innings in every one of his starts so far this year. 57 and a third overall, 63 strikeouts, 19 walks and eight home runs, a little bit high, but I mean, considering it's the Texas Rangers, that's actually very, very superb for this team. Then you take a look at the flip side for the LA Angels. As I'm seeing it right now, they actually might be going with one Julio Tehran. If they are going with Julio Tehran, then you certainly want to be taking the plus price here with the Texas Rangers because this guy's been terrible. 794 ERA. Right now on the betting board, it's saying Andrew Heaney, who's been pretty solid. He's got an ERA hovering right around a four-ish. He does give up a couple home runs too many for his career, but this year he's been giving up more like two-thirds of a home run per nine innings, so that's actually been quite solid. But if you're getting Mr. Tehran, 10 walks in 22 and two-thirds innings, he's given up seven home runs in the process. I mean, this is someone that he's given up at least three runs at all but one of his appearances so far this year that have been at least two innings. So, I mean, it's just one of these things in which if you're getting Julio Tehran, you probably want to be taking the over, and you certainly want to be taking the Walker Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Walker Texas Rangers and what they're able to provide to the plate, they are doing a little bit of a better job now. Isaiah Kanair Falefa is hitting above a 300 for the team. Nick Solak has been able to pick it up. He's hitting right around a 280. Ronald has come off the injured list. He's hitting a 345. But we know that this new Globe Life ballpark is playing a lot more pitcher friendly because there is a roof on it and you've got a bunch of guys that well they need to pick it up when it comes to the Texas Rangers. Eli White along with Joey Gallo, Elvis Andrews, Scott Heineman, Sin Choo Choo all hitting a 230 or lower and then you've got Laudy Tavares who's hitting a 222. If you're winding up getting by the way Andrew Heaney versus Lance Lynn I will be taking a look at that under just because I do trust in Andrew Heaney to be able to give the team some innings and for the LA Angels what you like about this team is the fact that they have been able to get a little bit of something going on offense as well as Andrelton Simmons hitting above a 325, but they did wind up selling off Jason Castro along with Tommy LaSalle at the trade deadline, so that means that you need a little bit more out of Anthony Rendon along with Mike Trout. A pair of guys are in between a 275 and a 295. Both of these guys have an on-base percentage that's approaching a 400, and for Trout, he's right now tied for the MLB lead when it comes to home runs, but then you've got Albert Pools, Joe Adele, Justin Upton, Luis Rangifo, Taylor Ward, Jared Walsh, Franklin Barreto, and Anthony Benboom, all hitting a buck 85 or lower. It has been absolutely terrible. Now, they do have Max Essie back to the fold. That's going to help them out, but against Lance Lynn, I just don't think that they're really going to stand much of a shot, so it is going to depend on the starting pitcher when it comes to the total. If you are winding up getting our good buddy in Julio Tehran, this is certainly going to be an over. If it is Andrew Heaney that goes, it is going to be an under, but regardless, we're going to be on the Texas Rangers in this spot. 973, 974 on the betting board is up next. Colorado Rockies hit the road face off against the San Diego Padres. Mike Clevenger goes for the pods. Meanwhile, Chichi Gonzalez is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. If you're looking at the Rockies, a massive plus price here. It is anywhere between plus $2 and plus $220. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the pods, you're going to be getting anywhere between minus $240 and minus $255. Total on this game is 9. Unders anywhere between minus $110 and minus $115. Overs anywhere between minus $105 and minus $110. For Chichi Gonzalez, he has been used a lot more as a long reliever so far this year. He really scuffled at the beginning of the 2019 season as a starter. He actually came around towards the end of the year. It's just been very awkward the way that they've used him. He's given up two home runs in his nine innings so far this year. He's made three total appearances, one start. He has given up four walks, so he's just been a little bit all over the place. He did wind up pitching four innings against the Padres on August 30th. That was at home, and he wound up giving up one run in the process, so he actually looked quite solid there. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look
look at Mike Clevenger. This is someone that, even though he wound up losing his first start as a Padre, he pitched quite well against the LA Angels. Team lost by a count of two to zero. He won six innings. He gave up two runs. He only had two punch outs in the process, but I think that his plus stuff is going to be returning once again as he, for his career, is a guy that averages more than 10 strikeouts per nine innings. So I think it's going to be a little bit better as we were talking about with Ariel. Just stuff with a guy traveling from coast to coast. And for the Padres, what you love about this team is the fact that they are able to do a terrific job of being able to barrel up balls. They wind up playing a 1-0 game against the Colorado Rockies on Monday. I find that to be very hilarious as the Padres have been held down a little bit more recently, but I think that they should be able to bust out in this spot as you've got a bunch of guys that are hitting so well that it's just almost impossible for them to not wind up being able to get things going. As Greg Garcia, Jake Cronenworth, Will Myers, Austin Nola, Mitch Moreland, Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., all hitting a 275 or higher for Tatis Jr. He's given the team 15 home runs. That's tied for the league lead. Eric Hosmer, Manny Machado, these guys are known for hitting those things called grand slams. You've got a couple guys in the fold that you may not know as much about. Guys like Jorge Ona has been getting a couple more plate appearances along with Jorge Mateo. I don't think either of these guys are really going to be making much of a contribution. I think that they were just in there to be able to fill a game or two due to rest, but Trent Grisham has been able to do a solid job. 350 on base, and he was hitting ninth for the team on Monday. That's absolutely insane. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is no doubt a team that hits much differently on the road as compared to at home, but you still have quite a few guys that do a good job at the top of the lineup. Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, along with Remy Tapia are all guys are in a 294 or higher. Garrett Hampson has been solved for the team as well. He's sending a 275. Kevin Pillar, along with Daniel Murphy, Nolan Arenado, and Matt Kemp are leading between a 250 and a 265 as well. You need a little bit more out of guys like Ryan McMahon, Tony Walters, Sam Hilliard, Drew Batera. These guys have just been hitting below a 220. But for the Colorado Rockies as well, if you take a look at their road bullpen ERA, it is in the top five in the big leagues for the Padres. They have not necessarily gotten the job done when it comes to the bullpen as you've got Emilio Pagan. He is right now Pagan because he is on the injured list. You've got Luis Perdomo currently dealing with an injury as well. Kirby Yates has just not been available for this team all year long. They have overcome the injury to Tommy Pham out there in the fold. And Eric Cosmer has been a little bit banged up as well. But by and large, I do like what I'm seeing out of the San Diego Padres team. I do think that this is going to be a spot in which we're going to see a very good start from our good buddy in Mike Clevenger. I think he's going to be able to turn it on in this spot. I do think that it's going to be a situation in which the Rockies just don't generate a lot of offense. And I do think that the Padres are going to have maybe a little bit of a tougher time as well on offense. So I'm going to be taking this little under, but I'm going to be looking at the Padres on the run line as well. I'm seeing that more in the neighborhood of minus 120. 975, 976 on the betting board is up next. The Oakland A's are going to be playing off the Houston Astros, and this is going to be a double dip. For the Oakland A's, Mike Miner is going to be going in game one. For the Houston Astros, as I'm seeing it right now, it is good old to be determined. That is off the board. Meanwhile, for game two, this is going to be 985, 986 on the betting board. You don't have numbers here, but it looks like we do have a set pitching matchup as it is going to be Frankie Montas, who's going to be going for the Oakland A's, and Zach Greinke is going to be going for the Houston Astros. And I should say 985, 986 is actually game one. And then the game with the smaller rotation numbers with Mike Miner and to be determined, 975, 976, that's actually game two. So if you want something confusing, there you go. But when you take a look at Montas and Greinke, 985, 986, for Montas, this is a guy that he's had his starts pushed back due to injury. And he has just been a hot mess. I mean, you take a look at his last three starts ever since he incurred some back issues. 
He's given up at least four runs in every one of them. He's given up a combined four home runs over the course of about nine and two-thirds innings. He has gotten 11 strikeouts, but he's also given up a grand total of nine walks, which is called not good, ladies and gentlemen. Meanwhile, for Zach Greinke, he has been wowing people with his, like, 55-mile-per-hour pitching. I will say, if you want to wow people with 55-mile-per-hour pitching, I could do that as well, but with that said, he's obviously been doing an absolutely terrific job so far this year. Eight starts. He has given up in the process two home runs. He's gotten 44 strikeouts. It seems like that swing and miss stuff is starting to come back. He's given up three runs or fewer in all the starts so far this year, though I will say he has given up approximately three runs in each out of his last three starts, including giving up three in his last start against the Oakland A's over the course of five innings. So that is something that you do want to note. The fact that he has only given up a grand total of four walks over his last five starts is also something very good, though, for the Houston Astros. The bullpen has been a little bit all over the place. You had to wind up having Andre Scrub come into the game on Monday. That is not necessarily ideal. Now, side Snead is nobody to write home about, but Sionel Perez has actually been a solid bullpen piece for this team. He wound up getting the call on Monday as well. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, this is a team with great bullpen depth. Luke Trevino was used on Monday, but he was used for three pitches. Liam Hendricks and guys like this, they are all going to be available. J.B. Wendelkin, all these guys. And then when you, you take a look at the Oakland A's, this is just a bunch that on offense they haven't been able to generate a lot. You've got a couple guys that are in between, I would say, a 260 and a 270. Tommy Lucella, Tony Kemp, Steven Piscotti, Robbie Grossman, they all fall into that neighborhood. But Ramon Laureano, despite a 356 on base, he's hitting just a 216. Mark Gannon's been able to do a solid job. He's hitting right around a 250. Sam Murphy, though, he's hitting a 230. Catcher spot in general has been a Sore spot, Chad Pinder's hitting a 205. You just have not been able to get much out of the young shortstop as well. The male machine has been hitting a buck 71. That has been brutal. Matt Olson, very interesting case study. He's hitting a buck 91, but he's gotten 10 home runs for the team. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, this is a team that, for the love of Pete, can they get a man in from scoring position because they're right now dealing with a couple of injuries. Alex Bregman, along with Jose Altuve, currently on the injured list, but you still have a couple guys that are able to do a solid job of getting on base. Yuli Gurriel, Kyle Tucker, both hitting between a 270 and a 280. Carlos Correa, Michael Brantley, just above a 300. And then you got George Springer, who's hitting just a 230, but a 347 on base. Now, I do realize that Martín Maldonado has been out of the fold recently, but he's hitting a 260. His on base is right around a 350 as well. Josh Reddick is hitting more around a 250 as well, but Oledmiz Diaz, Miles Straw, Dustin Garneau, Abraham Toro, you're just not able to get a whole lot out of these guys. Jack Mayfield has been a hot mess, so I do think that it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. In game one between Granke and Montas, as long as you're not laying ridiculous juice with the Astros, I would have to take a look at them because I think that there's a good chance that Granke is going to be able to go all seven. And if you'd be seeing a total that is seven or greater, I'd probably look at the under. I think that Montas still gets a little bit roughed up, but I think that the bullpen is able to save from there. Meanwhile, in 975-976, you gotta think it's probably going to be some sort of a bullpen game for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, for Mike Miner, you figured regression was going to be coming in from after he did so good last year, and it certainly has 0-5 record. 594 ERA, he's given up nine home runs at 36 and a third innings, but he is going to be pitching during the nighttime in Oakland, and the Marine layer should be out at that time. So it's actually going to help him out when it comes to not giving up as many deep balls. He, in his first appearance with the Oakland A's, came out of the bullpen, won one inning, gave up two runs. Not necessarily impressed there. It's all going to depend on who winds up going out there for the Houston Astros, but I would think that a total that is south of eight would probably be a look at the over as long as 
You're not getting someone that's just absolutely amazing for the Houston Astros, which I certainly don't think that we are going to be seeing. And I probably would be looking at Oakland in this spot as well, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for some plays there. We move on to 977, 978 on the bang board. The LA Dodgers hit the road to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Luke Weaver goes for the D-backs. Meanwhile, Walker Buehler is going to be on the bump for the Dodgers. If you're looking at the Dodgers, laying anywhere between minus 220 and minus 245. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Snakes is anywhere between plus 195 and plus 210. Total is 9 with the over. Anywhere between minus 110 and plus 105. And the under is anywhere between minus 110. And I'm seeing as low as a minus 125 as well. So, Certainly got quite a bit of a range there. And for Walker Buehler, he just hasn't been the same pitcher on the road as he has been at home. But you know who hasn't been good so far this year? That'd be Luke Weaver. He's given up eight home runs over the course of 32 and two-thirds innings. Only 10 walks, but 744 ERA, 159 whip. I mean, whatever can go wrong will go wrong for this gentleman. You take a look at what he's done recently. It's actually been better. He's given up two runs or fewer in three out of his last four starts, but now he's backed up by an Arizona bullpen that they got rid of Andrew Chafin along with Archie Bradley, and you just have absolutely nobody to be able to back him up. Meanwhile, for Walker Buehler, you take a look at his splits here in 2020. At home, he's got a buck 62 ERA over the course of three starts. He's not given up a home run on the road. He's given up five home runs over the course of 13 and a third innings in three starts, and he's got an ERA north of six. Now we also know this. With the Arizona Diamondbacks, they have scored three runs or fewer in 14 out of their last 18 games. This is a team that, ever since they broke up the Marte Parte, there has been no party at the betting box for this team. As you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, you've got Cattell Marte hitting right around a 300. Christian Walker along David Peralta are hitting between a 275 and a 285. And for Peralta, he winds up getting his third home run on the campaign on Monday. But then you take a look at the rest of this lineup and how you're able to have any confidence in Wyatt Matheson along with Carson Kelly, Dalton Varsho, Jorge Rojas, Kevin Crone, guys like this is beyond me because they're absolutely terrible. Eduardo Escobar has not done much for this team either. And then you take a look at the other side for the LA Dodgers. You've got Mookie Betts, who's been just absolutely terrific. He's hitting a 316 with 13 home runs. I will say, they have a couple guys that they need to pick it up as well. Max Muncy, along with Cody Bellinger, Kike Hernandez, Edwin Rios, Will Smith are all guys that are in a 230 or lower. Aside from Will Smith, who's all of a sudden gotten an on base percentage right around 400. So I give him credit for being able to help that out. You do have Gavin Lux who's been scuffling a little bit, but A.J. Pollock has been able to do a good job. He's hitting a 285. Corey Seager has 11 home runs. He's hitting a 331 as well. I like what they're able to offer. Even those scuffling bats, you got to think that they're going to be able to pick it up. The Dodgers have been one of the top under teams out there in the big leagues because they have had a couple guys struggle, but I think that they're going to be able to hit Luke Weaver here, and I think that they're going to hit him hard, so I'm going to be looking at the run line here of the L.A. Dodgers. As I'm seeing it right now, you're going to be looking at it right in the neighborhood of about a minus 135-ish, give or take a little bit, but still think it's good value, and I'm going to be going with this little over, and we wrap things up with 979, 980 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants are going to be playing on the Seattle Mariners. LJ Newsom is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, you've got Logan Webb on the bump for the San Francisco Giants. Jones games 8.5. The over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Giantes, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 155 and minus 165. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Seattle Mariners is anywhere between plus 145 and plus 150. For the Seattle Mariners. This is a team that's all of a sudden won six straight games. They wind up selling off quite a few pieces at the deadline, and they've been able to come through. How about the Kyles? Kyle C. 
Seeger along with Kyle Lewis. Both of these guys are doing an absolutely superb job for this team. With Kyle Seeger, he's hitting more in the neighborhood of about a 285, and for Kyle Lewis, north of a 300 with a above a 400 on base. And what you love about both of these guys as well is that their on base is north of a 375 for Ty France. They wind up getting him in the trade deadline deal in which they sent away Taylor Williams, Austin Nolan, and so many others, but he's hitting above a 300. JP Crawford has right around a 340 on base. Now you need a little bit more out of a few of these guys as you've got Philip Irvin, D. Strange, Gordon, Malik Smith, Evan White, all guys are in a 200 or lower along Jake Fraley, Odom at the catcher spot. I mean, the list goes on and on, but they have been able to get a little bit more of something recently out of quite a few of those guys. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. This is a team that's been one of the top over teams out there in the big leagues. If you take out their games against the Arizona Diamondbacks, like 90% of their home games have won over. It's absolutely ridiculous. And for the San Francisco Giants, the big reason why is because you've got a bunch of guys that are getting on base. Donovan Solano, Brandon Belt are two guys hitting a 330 or higher. And then you've got Mikey Stremski, Darren Ruff, along with Wilmer Flores and Mauricio Dubon hitting between a 305 and a 280 and pretty much all these guys have pop in the bat as well. And then you take a look at even a guy like a Brandon Crawford hitting a 270. Joey Bart is hitting nearly a 270 as well. You've just got stacks upon stacks of guys that are able to hit. Now I will say this for the San Francisco Giants. The bullpen has been intermittent. Tony Watson is going to be available in this game. That's nice. And for the Seattle Mariners you don't have a lot of faith in this bullpen. And with the Seattle Mariners as well, they are one of the top over teams when it comes to road games out there in the big leagues. Nearly two thirds of their road games have went over. I think that they are going to be able to get to Logan Webb, someone who's been a little bit hit or miss so far this year. 2-3 and three record, 471 ERA. He's only given up two home runs, but the 15 walks have been a little bit of a killer, and he's just been inconsistent over his last five starts. In his last five starts, he's given up 3-2-5-0 and four runs, so that certainly has been a little bit intriguing of a line for him. And when you take a look at Logan Webb at home, he's got an ERA hovering right around a 530. He's only given up one home run, but he hasn't been able to locate very well. And then for LJ Newsom, he is a young guy who... Just when I took a look at his minor league numbers, he was given out about a walk and a half per nine innings. He does a good job with command. He has made one start and one long relief appearance, a grand total of seven innings. He's given up two runs in the process. Now, when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. He's given up two home runs in the process, but this is actually someone that was a standout a couple years ago out there in the Big West. I believe that he was actually playing for... Cal State Fullerton, if I remember correctly. I might be mistaken on that, but I do like what I've seen out of Newsom. I think that both these bullpens are going to get quite a bit roughed up, but I think that the Seattle Mariners are going to be able to keep things going, and I think that they're going to be able to get to Logan Webb. I think that Webb is going to walk a couple too many guys. So we're going to be going with this total over, and we're going to be going with the Seattle Mariners. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Monday. A big thanks to Ariel Epstein of SportsGrid, FanDuel, and so many other outlets for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune and if you have a big question for the podcast, fire it into my timeline at Jaren's41. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well, and I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.